Hello, hello, and welcome to 5S, that is Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon Supplemental. This week we uh, did a show on the question, actually not a question at all, we were exploring arguments for the existence of God. Arguments for the existence of God, I think it's Dr. Kreef. I can't remember who it was. I didn't remember for the show. I didn't bother to look now. But uh, his name and work is all over the board, and so you can take a look at it. Thank you, uh, Brian, and Brian with an I, and Marvin, uh, for bringing some of those works and links. Uh, so that's great. I think that I said pretty much everything I wanted to say about the arguments for the existence of God on the show. So if you have not read those, uh, I'm sorry, if, you're not, if, if you haven't heard the show, go back and listen to the show. I, I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> so of course I would think that, but um, uh, I, I think that I've pretty much exhausted what I have to say about arguments for the existence of God for now. Trust me, it is a thing that we will revisit from time to time. Uh, that said, there is a bigger and deeper question. And uh, that question is, why should we care about whether or not a God exists? Why should we care? So, uh, you've all heard the question before. And by the way, before I jump all the way into this, let me just say that uh, this is one of these rare times that I'm doing a write-up for SNS. I, I generally reserve my write-ups for uh, the passion project that um, means the most to me right now, uh, which is uh, Red Letters. You can check out my book, uh, Red Letters, the uh, closer look at the worst moral and practical teachings in history, and uh, you can get that book for free. Also, hear me discuss each chapter in length uh, which I have been doing for several weeks now and will be doing for a while longer. That's patreon.com slash red letters. If you're not a member now, go ahead and uh, sign up. It's $1 per show, and I never do more than one paid show per week, although sometimes I do more than one show per week. You only get one paid show per week, and if I don't do a show for whatever reason, you don't pay anything. So it's uh, it's real easy. Um, check it out. Great community. Great uh, comments. Great discussion. Thanks so much uh, for, for checking it out. Okay. Uh, I normally reserve my write-ups for, for that effort. It's not because I don't enjoy writing. I do enjoy writing. I just have a very limited amount of time. And so I've got to put that effort uh, where it's most important. But for this supplemental, I actually did a write-up. So if you don't have time to do the show, or if you prefer to read rather than listen, or if you want to read as well as listen, uh, just refresh the page uh, where you found the show, and there will be a write-up there. If for whatever reason you are not getting this show from my Skeptics and Seekers page, you can find that at skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. Sign into your discuss, discuss account and discuss away. So you have heard the question asked by Christian apologists, apologists. In fact, Christian apologists are the only people who would ask this question. So what would it take to get you to believe in God? What would it take? 
you know, it, it's, uh, it sounds a little bit like a car salesman uh, asking the question, what would it take to get you into a new set of wheels? Um, it's, it's really off-putting. It's off-putting off to me for a number of reasons. And I have answered this question on air. I have answered this question in writing. Uh, I will continue to answer this question uh, in different ways, depending on my mood and temperament when the question is asked. But by and large, I believe that the question is a dishonest question. It is completely disingenuous. Christians only ask this question when they feel like they are getting nowhere in the debate. Maybe they feel like they've lost the debate and don't want to admit it, but they, they recognize that they're getting nowhere. And so this question is one that usually comes out of frustration uh, because they know they don't have any real answers. And so this question pops up. Well, why do they ask you the question? Is it because they, they feel like they're God's ambassadors, like they're God's salespeople, and that it's up to them to get you into a new set of God? I mean, is that, is that really what's going on in their mind? I mean, I don't think that's the case. I mean, they're largely talking to you in the first place because they think that. So that's not really why they ask the question. Otherwise, uh, you know, if they thought it was such a great question, they would ask it up front instead of at the end of a debate, I, I I can't know this for sure, but I believe the motive, I mean, I've, I've seen this question asked a thousand times and the responses that are given, how Christians respond to those responses. And I honestly believe that the reason Christians ask this question is because they are really trying to sneak and snark and answer sideways into the question. And so the answer to the question in their mind is, you are not a real seeker. You are not legitimately open to God. Why don't, okay, I've given you all of these great reasons to believe in God, and you still say you don't believe. So just what would it take for you? What they're, what they're really saying is, if there's nothing that would convince you. And so since there's nothing that would convince you, your disbelieving isn't my failure. It's really on you. You are the problem, not me. This is really where this question uh, comes in and the upshot of the question. However, I actually think rather than trying to answer the question, by the way, which I will do straight up if you really want to know, as I have done many times before, but I honestly think the answer to such a dishonest, such a disingenuous question uh, would be, snark more more snark right at right back at them but uh you know if you don't want to go the polemical route just ask the christian why do you want to know why what do you, what what's your goal here uh because you've obviously been unable to sell me your god yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna buy the the god off the back lot that's not gonna happen so why do you want to know just make them tell you the truth make them give you an answer uh for the query in the first place, that'll, that'll put them off a bit. They'll have to stop and think about that for a minute. But if you really want to throw them off their, your, their game, if you really want to see them, uh, their, their heads spin around uh, 360, just tell them the following. I don't care whether God exists or not. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> that'll floor them. That floors them. Because they... You know, they know that not everyone believes in God, but they are still working 
they're laboring under under the delusion that everybody at least cares or that everybody should care. I mean, this is kind of a presupposition for them. Um, and so they don't meet a lot of people who will admit to not caring. Now, I think they meet a lot of people that don't care, but people are nice and they, they engage in the conversations and so forth. Uh, when the Mormons come around, you know, you might say, I'm not interested, but you usually don't say, I don't care whether your God exists or not. Uh, and so uh, this is, this is good, whether it's some street epistemologist or some door knocker or, uh, you know, someone on an internet discussion board or a podcast, if you really want to see their eyes go saucer and, and their brains start smoking and uh, steam come out of their ears, just say, I don't care whether your God exists. I assure you, <laughs> whatever they say next will be entertaining. <laughs> and um, for the entertainment value alone, it might then be worth proceeding with the conversation. Now, I know for a fact that even many atheists balk at the idea of not caring. They believe that you should at least care. You know, it should, maybe you don't believe in a God, but you not care if there was a God. You, you're committing some type of epistemic crime in that way. But I would argue that if you think so, you've got a half a foot in the Christian camp already anyway. Because you have to buy into some of the Christian claims about who this God is in order for you to just assume from the jump that it matters whether he exists. Now, I would argue that it doesn't matter if he exists. You know, if there is a Dan from St. Louis who moved to China two years ago and is now a rice farmer, uh, that person may or may, it, may not exist. Do you care? No, you don't care. <laughs> of course you don't care. Um, but hang on. What if I said that Dan from St. Louis who moved to China and became a rice farmer has the power to raise you from the dead? Now do you care? No, you still, let's just be clear. No, you still don't care. <laughs> you don't care if that guy exists or not. And you may debate the merits of, you know, whether it's possible to raise someone from the dead or not. But there's, there's very little that I can say to you that can make you care about that person. So in order for you to care, you would have to buy into some extraordinary claim about that person for you to care. So I would say that if you just have this Christian assumption that you should care about God's existence and that the conversation is important, you've already bought into at least one of their central claims that God is important. <laughs> and so, um, no, no, I would say that God is not important. Uh, and I do not have an epistemic responsibility to give a single damn or a single shit about his existence. That said, that said, we can play the game a little better than that, can't we? So let's look at uh, some other reasons. I'm sure that we will come back to this reason, but let's look at some other reasons why uh, I think it's perfectly okay to answer this question with 
and I don't care. Because maybe it will help uh, Christians stop wasting so much YouTube time <laughs> trying to convince people that there is a God and there are arguments for God. And these are all bad arguments anyway. Um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So why doesn't it matter? First of all, they should be the ones uh, trying to convince us that it does matter and why. I, I shouldn't have to be the one convincing them that it doesn't matter. Okay, I think that's the default position. It, it simply doesn't matter. But we can do better than that, though. So let's see if we can do better. Uh, it doesn't matter whether there's a God or not because there are no consequences to disbelief. Tell me, how many of you, just show of hands, show of hands, how many of you buy into Pascal's wager? How many? You know, I meant to turn on the video camera for this because <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm trying to practice the video thing because I'm going to move to all video at some point. This would have been a great time for it, but I didn't, so never mind. Uh, my, my beard is still unshaven. <laughs> um, how long I will keep that up, I don't know. Um, how many of you buy into Pascal's wager? Uh, I, I had a debate slash discussion, it wasn't really a debate, a discussion with Liz Jackson, who is a kind of a premier authority on this subject of Pascal's Wager. It was on one of Dell's shows. You can find it on his channel. It was a good show. It was actually one of the best shows that uh, we did, in my opinion. It was a good uh, conversation. I really liked Dr. Jackson a lot. I really liked her a lot. And I would love to uh, have her on and have further discussions uh, with her. So she's the kind of Christian that you could really enjoy uh, talking to, not because she's a Christian or, you know, some kind of expert in the field, but she's just a, a genuinely good conversationalist. And I think that everyone uh, would benefit from more conversations with uh, Dr. Jackson. So that said, uh, she gave the best possible presentation for Pascal's wager that I can imagine. I can't it is beyond my imagination that there could possibly be a better presentation of Pascal's Wager. And it moved me toward believing in Pascal's Wager not one iota. Not one. How many of you uh, remember that podcast? Um, it was nice. She had slides and everything. <laughs> it was a very, very well done presentation. Did you watch that? Um, did you watch that show? Did you listen to that show? Uh, did she convince you? Uh, our own Teddy the Bear is a proponent of Pascal's wager. Teddy the Bear is great at a lot of things. She's no Liz Jackson, though. So I don't, I don't find her uh, presentation of it very convincing for me. But who knows? Maybe she will. Uh, come on and do it sometime when it's just uh, the two of us one-on-one -on -one to talk about it. And uh, I, I find that uh, Teddy is a lot better in situations where it's just one-on-one -on -one discussion uh, with her. Teddy and I have uh, communicated on and off air a lot, and I really enjoy talking to Teddy. So for those of you who only know the adversarial relationship <laughs> between Teddy and I, you're wrong. <laughs> we... Uh, I, I consider her a very close friend, even a, even a sister by choice. Uh, she, is a, she is a part of my family to whom I would donate a kidney at any moment. In fact, I would donate a kidney to one of her friends or family members simply because she asked. So that's, that's the um, affection I have for Teddy. On Pascal's wager, 
she couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> and she couldn't be less convincing. Uh, I will just go ahead and give this advertisement for Teddy while I am at it. She is in the process of writing a book. Oh, Teddy, please be in the process of writing this book. Please keep moving the cursor forward. She's writing a book on the Shroud. Uh, you know how Teddy is on the Shroud. If you've never heard Teddy debate on the Shroud, she's really good. She's she's surprisingly good at this. And I've, I've read some of her uh, book. I have implored her to please finish this in my lifetime so that I can read it and, you know, pay full price for it and put it on a shelf <laughs> and, you know, do that. She's She's a good writer. And no matter what you think about uh, The Shroud, I think that you will enjoy the work. So, if, you know, if it ever comes out, uh, it will be a hard recommend for me. On Pascal's wager, she has nothing. <laughs> she's, she's way less convincing than Dr. Jackson. Dr. Jackson can't move the needle uh, on belief in that way. So if you believe that Pascal's wager is a pretty good argument, let me know why in the comments skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com sign in your discuss account discuss away i believe i've said that before but i really want to know and i wouldn't even mind having a podcast just talking to people just let me know we'll we'll hook up on uh zoom and just talk about why you find pascal's wager uh convincing and i will tell you why i don't find it convincing and uh, who knows uh, i think an entertaining conversation will come of that so if you don't believe in any form of Pascal's wager, of which there are many forms, by the way, if you don't believe it, there's really nothing in the world that can make you believe in the consequences of not caring about whether there's a God. So you just have to ask yourself, if I don't believe in God, or rather, if I don't even care about believing in God, if I never search for the answers of believing in God, what's the worst thing that could happen to me? <laughs> and, and once you just ask that question, you're just kind of honest, that honest in that way with that question, you will quickly realize that there is not a damn thing <laughs> that can happen to you because you don't believe in any of the consequences that could come from it. So in, in other words, in order to believe in the consequences of not caring about whether there's a God, you kind of have to believe there's a God because <laughs> the consequences go with the God. That's, that's the deal. And so uh, if, for instance, you have heard about this thing called hell, where Jesus has prepared for the devil and his angels and will happily send you. So whatever this hell is, that much of a description we get from the mouth of Jesus in the Gospels. You have to believe that Jesus is God who prepared a place called hell for someone called the devil and some creatures uh, identified as his angels. I don't believe in a single one of those propositions. <laughs> Neither do you. <laughs> Heck, many Christians don't even believe in some of those propositions. And so there is no reason whatsoever that any of us should believe in hell. There's certainly no reason why I should believe in hell. And so since I don't believe in hell, hell cannot possibly be a consequence for me not caring about whether there's a God or not. And it can't be a consequence uh, consequence for you either. It's not possible. 
Okay, so let's set aside that one. What about annihilation? Uh, same, same category, by the way. But let me just say, I believe in annihilation. I just don't call it annihilation. I just call it death. <laughs> I, I think we die and we don't come back, all right? Uh, I am a naturalist. Now, there are plenty of naturalists who believe that you die and come back. You don't have to be a dualist. You don't have to be a substance dualist to believe that there is some life after what we think of as death. That is not the only option out there. You could believe, uh, you know, that some form of your brain could either survive or before you reach death be transferred into some kind of artificial brain that could last effectively forever because as it wears out, you just transfer and keep retransferring into to new artificial brains. So that's one way of uh, believing in eternal life without being a substance dualist. So, uh, I, so maybe not everyone is an annihilationist who is an atheist. That said, I am an annihilationist. And uh, whereas I don't know that I can argue that we are non-transferable, there was a show, Andrew and Darren and I did a show in some season of SNS, but it was a, it was kind of an offbeat show. Uh, it was on transhumanism. That was also one of my favorite shows. Uh, what a great conversation uh, that was, by the way. Uh, we ended up with no answers and lots of disagreement, as you would expect. But it was really good disagreement <laughs> and uh, really good speculation. So go back and look up that show on transhumanism if you have not heard that one. So I don't know ultimately if humans are transferable or not i tend to think that we are not simply because of the nature of death and i certainly don't think we are once the thing we call death has taken place all right so we might be transferable before death but i think if you're going to have eternal life you have to have life and if you no longer have life i don't i don't think you can get relifed <laughs> so you know we're not like video games you know where you you know you try to jump the chasm and you miss and you die and then you start over uh at the you know before you jump the chasm <laughs> you maybe try it again i don't i don't buy into that idea i don't see any mechanism for uh doing that all right but that said that said uh i think most people most non-religious people are annihilationists which is to say, when we die, we're dead. <laughs> that's that's the that's the deal. So I'm happy to use this kind of Christianese term of annihilationism, although I think it's a ridiculous religious latent term. And I will just say that most people are probably annihilationists in some way or or other. So what? That's not a consequence of not believing in God or caring whether God exists. So I'm going to be annihilated when I die, which is to say I will die and stay dead. That's what I think will happen anyway. <laughs> so that is not a consequence for not caring about whether God exists. You, you just, you can't come up with any kind of negative consequence that I would care about because you can't come up with any negative consequence I believe in. So you've got to, you've kind of got to convince the person 
uh, and put them into a faith position with regard to God before you can get them worried about the consequences of not believing in God. And so that's that's not going to happen with me. Okay, okay, okay. But what about the positive side of it? What about heaven? Okay, so we're not going to scare you into caring about God, but maybe we can entice you to care about God. I mean, that's, that's a thought, right? Uh, heaven, this idea of eternal life, all right? Well, I don't, I just kind of went over that. I don't believe in eternal life. I don't believe that we can be re-lifed. And so I don't, I don't understand the concept of life after death. Because if you're, if you're talking about life after death, then I think you fundamentally misapprehend either life or death. <laughs> you're, not, you're not getting the, you're not getting the full uh, idea of one of those words. Um, but, but let's just say that there is life after death. I wouldn't mind trying it. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm not looking forward to death. I've, uh, I've had a close call or two. Uh, it was not fun. Now, I'm not so much afraid of being dead. Being dead is just not being here. Uh, I'm a little apprehensive of dying. The dying part, that sucks. As, as life slowly ebbs out of you and you realize it and there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it, that's scary. You know, that's, I, that's imagine I, what I imagine is like a, a free fall in an airplane where both of its engines are gone and you look out of the window and you see the pilot and co-pilot parachuting out. <laughs> you've, got, you've got several minutes of screaming in front of you. That sucks. That's, that's dying for me. And I, I, I won't know truck with that. So, um, I would definitely try some eternal life if it was offered some, some utopia. Uh, we did a show on uh, utopia as well. Uh, I, I love that topic and I enjoyed, uh, having some high-level discussion about utopia, and uh, I came to the conclusion that I am not really a utopianist. I used to call myself a utopianist. I'm not a utopianist. I don't think it's possible. I think that it is philosophically an, a philosophical impossibility. <laughs> so, um, that said, I hope I'm wrong. I would like to be wrong about that. I would like uh, to think that there is something that could be something even close to a utopia out there. And so you might say, well, there is a possibility for utopia if you care about God. But I would, I would just have to scratch my uh, scraggly beard and ask you why I would need to care about God for the eternal life utopia to be a real thing. Because if God is this good God, then I tend to fall in with Brian with an I and say that we're all going to get it anyway. I think that's the only just thing there could be. I think any other outcome would be unjust. Any other outcome besides everybody getting this utopia, regardless of whether they believed what they, what they believed or what they did or whatever, I think it would be unjust. Because right now, we're in a mostly deterministic universe 
where we may have been born with some bad genes, anger issues, uh, addiction issues. We may have uh, been born in a place where bad information was given us, or maybe we don't have enough brain cells to comprehend um, good information. Uh, we make all kinds of life decisions on bad information and bad impulses. Uh, we are not making informed um, informed libertarian decisions. And so any reward or punishment based on anything that we do here is arbitrary. And so I don't, I don't buy that a God who has the eternal life card to play, I don't buy that that God would not offer it to everybody. At least offer everybody an opportunity at a true informed decision. So, should I care about whether this God exists now? No, I don't think I should care. <laughs> if he exists, we'll find out when it matters. And then we'll have the opportunity to do uh, the right thing then. So I don't, I don't see why caring about whether this God exists or not wouldn't make it better or worse for us uh, as far as our chances of enjoying this utopia. So... Uh, I think this is the longest I will bloviate on a given point. There are no consequences. This is my point. No matter what you offer as a consequence for me, I see it as no consequence at all. So you, you can't threaten me or cajole me into caring about something when there are zero consequences if I don't. All right. Well, maybe let's try a, a, something more persuasive uh, to a skeptic. What about love of truth? I mean, we skeptics have this vaunted love of the truth, right? I mean, well, first of all, not all skeptics have some vaunted love of the truth. Uh, we just know bullshit when we hear it, <laughs> and we don't really have no love for that. But that doesn't mean that we're running around looking for truth under every rock either. You know, we're just living our lives, okay? We're doing what everyone else is doing. We're going to work. We're putting our pants on one leg at a time. Um, and, uh, you know, we're trying to make enough money so that we can buy milk and cereal for the kids. That's what we're doing, all right? Um, and by the way, I think that's what you should be doing. That is what you should be doing. And if you have some extra time when there's no really good uh, show on, severance, by the way, Apple TV, Apple TV Plus, get yourself a subscription to Apple TV Plus. Watch Severance. It's really good. <laughs> okay? And honestly, your time would be better spent watching Severance than reading another book about uh, philosophy or about arguments for God. <laughs> so if you haven't watched Severance, pause this podcast, go watch Severance. Um, it's a whole season. Come back, finish this podcast. I think it has a better use of your time, uh, quite frankly. You know, kiss your wife, uh, pat your kids on the head, uh, go to Disneyland. Do that. That's a much better use of a mind and a life than most of the stuff we're talking about here. Um, that said, yeah, we love the truth, generically speaking. Of course we do. Of course we're going to know more true things, as few, you know, as many true things as possible, and as many, uh, as few false things as possible, right? That is, that is the case. 
But the love of truth is something generic that, you know, maybe everybody could say at some level. For us to actively seek out some particular truth, excuse me, it has to be a truth that is particularly relevant to us. That's the key. It, it has to be particularly relevant. So there are all kinds of truths that we don't care about. I don't care about them. You don't care about them. Don't pretend you do. How many grains of sand are there on a given beach? Don't know. Don't care. Don't even ask. There's nothing that you can do to make me start counting. <laughs> there's, there's nothing that you could do or say to make me start, you know, trying to do Google searches to find it out. There's nothing. I don't care. It's not relevant to me. So the first thing you would have to do is explain why it would be relevant for me to know before I even cared about what the answer is. How many hairs do I have on my head? I don't know. I don't care. It, there, it's a truth. There's a universal truth in there. There's absolutely a truth in there, but I have no epistemic requirement to spend one moment of my life trying to find the answer. None. It's a fact about the universe that is utterly irrelevant to me. So, shouldn't we care whether there is a God just so that we can know at least one more true thing? Well, no. Right now, it's no more relevant to me than the number of hairs I have on my chinny-chin-chin. It is not relevant at all. Why is this word underlined here when it is not misspelled? Give me just a second. This is bugging me. All right. That's because... I'm a bad speller. I've got it taken care of. I hate those red underlines. I hate them. I have to stop what I'm doing when I see them. I just, I, OCD about that, you know, which is terrible for a writer who doesn't spell well. Um, right. So you have to convince me that there is something relevant, personally relevant, about the existence of a God for me. Now, what do Christians do to try to convince you of God's relevance? Well, they talk about salvation from sin. I don't believe in sin because I don't believe in your God. <laughs> uh, I don't believe it. I don't believe in salvation because I don't believe I'm lost in any way. Uh, they talk about uh, consequences. See the last section we just spent a bunch of time on, and so they have no way of actually making knowledge of their God relevant to me. No way whatsoever. Um, relevance is a close neighbor to consequences, right? So if you can't show any consequences of not believing this true thing, then you also can't show any relevance for why it's important that you know it, all right? All you can say is it's a true thing about the universe that would be interesting to know. Okay, well, it's interesting to you. I don't actually find it all that interesting. Here's something that I believe might be possible, and I don't find it all that interesting. 
I believe that we might have aliens. We might have, there might be more advanced aliens than us out there, and maybe quite a lot of them. Now, now I don't, I don't know that that's the case, but I find it interesting, and I still don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> we'll get. We'll come back to aliens. Um, so you wouldn't argue that I am somehow epistemically lazy for not caring about whether space aliens exist or not. And yet you believe that I, I have some epistemic responsibility to care about whether or not there's a God when you yourself cannot articulate any believable or relevant fact that would make me care. So I'm, I'm sorry, it may, it may come as a shock to your system that your God is irrelevant to me. And, and if, if he does exist, still irrelevant, we'll, we'll come back around. But just as a matter of esoteric knowledge, sure, I suppose if that's the thing that uh, gets, you, gets your motor going, there's nothing wrong with doing that search. But there's also nothing right about it either. There's nothing compelling about the question of whether God exists or not. Unless somewhere along the line, you've got some buy-in for the, for the consequences. All right. Um, a few other reasons. I don't care whether God exists or not because he doesn't want to be known by me. Right? Um, he's playing hide and seek and he's a better hider than I am a seeker. So I'm out. <laughs> it's really that simple. If he wanted to be known by me, I'd know him. But he wants to make it a game. You know, some kind of reality show from hell. And I am not here for that at all. You know, you've got to have the right IQ and you've got to be exposed to and buy into the right philosophies or you've got to be raised in the right kind of society in order to encounter the God of the Christians, to encounter any specific God. You know, that's, those are kind of necessary requisites. So already it's a game show. It's not something that is really all that universal. Um, and God doesn't seem to care whether I know him or not. He doesn't come around and make himself known like any other person makes themselves known. You know, I have reason to believe that my audience is out there because I can look at the, the metrics on the website or the, the downloads of the podcast, and I can get a pretty good idea of, you know, who's listening and by who I don't know, you know, personally, but I know that there's a certain number of people that are listening and, uh, you know, what podcast app you're listening on and that sort of thing. I can know that. And then some of you go even further than that. You want me to know you. Big, hang on. Okay, um, you want me to know you because sometimes you send me an email. 
All right. Um, I don't think that we've quite gotten past the Turing test yet, but um, I think I can tell the difference between a genuine email and bots. I tell my wife I am recording. Please leave me alone. She keeps sending me messages. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, so you send me emails, sometimes personal emails. You ask questions. You uh, tell me things about yourself. Um, I, I know that you're there. You want me to know you, and I know you. Anybody who wants me to know them, it's trivially easy for you to make me know you, to make me know that you exist. All right? Not one of you who's able to listen to my voice right now. Not one of you is incapable of making me aware that you exist. But God, who supposedly wants me to be aware that he exists, doesn't make the normal effort that a lowly human would make in letting me know that he exists. And he doesn't make that effort. So, uh, yeah, read the write-up. I'll uh, skip past. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I need to care whether God exists or not since he has shown no indication of wanting me to know he exists. Another reason why I don't care whether he exists is I tried. I tried. God, God <laughs> pardon the expression, God knows I've tried. I, de I devoted my life uh, to it as a child, and as a teen, and as a young adult. Uh, I tried. Now, I not, not only cared whether or not God exists, I did everything in my power to find him. Seek, and you shall find. So I sought, but did not find. And what the Christian responds to, to this is some form of, well, you didn't try hard enough. You weren't a real seeker. If you were truly legitimately seeking, you would have found because Jesus said you would have found, and Jesus is not a liar, so there. Another variation of this is, well, okay, you may have tried, but uh, God will only reveal himself to you just before you die. Or some people will take it further and say, okay, well, God will reveal himself to you sometime after you die. But the, the bottom line is, if ultimately you end up not believing, you end up not finding God, is because of you. You didn't do the right things to be a true seeker. And to those kinds of responses all, I give the heartiest fuck you that, uh, that I'm capable of. Right? So, um... Yeah, if, if I could give one piece of advice to my past self, it would be stop trying. Stop. Go <laughs> Change course. Um, do something else uh, with your life. Follow your music career. Do, you know, do anything else <laughs> than what you're doing uh, right now. And that is the advice I would not only give to my past self, it's the advice that I give to anyone who is waste, wasting their time seeking actively seeking for the existence of a God. So, um, in conclusion, 
unchanged life and unchanged life. Yeah. Uh, Christians are always talking about the, the testimony of changed lives, people who became believers. But I would say that I could give you more testimony of people who had changed lives from uh, having an encounter with an alien. But the, but the Christians wouldn't credit that argument. So how about one they might credit? I can give you a hundredfold change, unchanged lives of people who claim to be believers in God. Because the vast majority of people who ever lived and whoever believed in God have unchanged lives. They have lives that are indistinguishable from the lives of unbelievers. I can tell you, uh, as for myself, having been a believer and an unbeliever, when I became an unbeliever, my life was unchanged. By that, I mean the following. I did as much uh, raping and plundering and stealing and murdering and drugging as I did when I was a believer, which, by the way, is none, um, in case you're curious. But I did, I did exactly the same amount of it. And if anything, I would say that that makes me a better person as an unbeliever rather than a believer, because everything that I did positively, I did without expecting some kind of supernatural reward. And everything that I, every bad thing that I abstained from doing, I did it without uh, the threat of any kind of supernatural punishment. I, I did the good that I did without being inhabited by some Holy Spirit, and I did the bad that I did without being inhabited by some unholy spirit. So whether good or bad, it was me and all me. And I think that made me a better person. That makes me a better person. That makes you a better person, because what you do is you and all you. And you're doing it for the consequence that it triggers some good feeling in you. It is your good that you are achieving. And you avoid doing the bad because you think it's bad, not because some God thinks it's bad. And so that makes you a more noble person than someone who just does good or bad because they're trying to attain a better reward or escape some horrendous punishment. We atheists do our good and our bad for, I think, way more honest, way more pure reasons. If you're an atheist who's never been a Christian, you wonder what uh, change would come in your life if you suddenly believed in God, the answer would be none. <laughs> there would be none. Um, and if you're a Christian and you're wondering what change would certainly suddenly befall your life if you stop being a Christian, the answer is none. I mean, look, there are external changes. People are going to treat you different. You know, those, those friends and family members and people who call themselves brother and sister and shake your hand and, give, and hug your neck at church, they're probably going to uh, give you a different body part, the cold shoulder. And that shoulder is almost always cold. But you're not going to change. There's nothing internal about you that will be different than what it is now. In fact, in, in church, we used to describe it uh, this way. If, if you were a devil when you were baptized, you just you came up a wet devil. And that was, <laughs> that was, that was the deal. Um, churches are full of wet devils, and uh, non-churches are full of dry saints. Okay, there's, there's no 
change that anyone can point to on the broad scale between believers and unbelievers. And so if you think that chasing after the question of whether there's a God or not will change anything materially for you, I can tell you from experience that it doesn't. And if you don't like my anecdotal experience, just look at every statistic of behavior that you can find uh, that breaks down between Christians and non-Christians. Christians. It is all the same. So the people who do think that God's existence is very important live exactly the same life as you do. And that's the thing that's important at the end of the day. I don't care whether your God exists because he hasn't done crap <laughs> in any life that I can detect. And when there are believers who have positively changed lives, it is no different than the changed lives that other people have when you know, they believe in other things that Christians would say are lies. So there are all kinds of ways that we can have our lives influenced and changed for the better by things that don't really exist or by things that aren't really true, which kind of tells you that the change really comes from within and not without. And so if what you want is a changed life, decide to change it. And then pray to determinism that you can. <laughs> And um, with that, uh, didn't even mean to go this long. This has been a supplemental of 4S, and we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye.